The following audio is from LifeHouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. How have you resolved the tension between doing what you want to do and not doing what you shouldn't do because others are watching, others who are impressionable and might repeat bad behaviors? Let me, let me say it more concisely. How have you worked out the tension between doing what you want to do and not doing it because you shouldn't? All of us have had situations where, if you're driving, you've had a situation where you're driving down the road and you're supposed to be following somebody and you're following them and after a while you're starting to go like, I don't know if they know where they're going. Maybe they make a turn and you kind of have a general idea of where you're all supposed to be going and you're like, why did they just turn? They're not supposed to turn there. And I've had that happen recently. And what you'll do what I did, right? You start calling them. And if they answer, you're like, where are you going? I was following you. And, and I've had this situation where they go, what? I, I had no idea. I was just driving. I didn't know you were following me. And, and you're like, you have this moment. You're like, well, where were you going? I, I don't know. And, or, or this person was like, well, my GPS was off. I was like, what would you put in the wrong address? I would have followed you in the completely wrong direction. In my life, this is just a present reality. Certainly, if you're a parent, a teacher, this is a big deal, right? This happens somewhat frequently in my home. Laura will say something like this, Patrick, you can't do that with the boys because they will do it when you're not here. So it's perfectly okay if they do it with you but they're going to copy you when you're not around. And then it's a problem. So, for example, you've heard me talk about the boys pulling all the pillows off of the couches. I created that problem because there was a season when they didn't pull all the pillows off the couches, but I thought it'd be really fun one Saturday to make a giant pillow fort. So I pulled all the pillows off the couches. I piled them up really high with the boys, and we had a blast. From that point on, whether I was there or not, they pull all the pillows off the couch, and now they get in trouble for it. I recently decided that because I love shooting archery and been learning how to shoot more accurately and consistently the compound bow, we got a, a, bow, a, a compound bow for the boys to shoot. And they keep saying, Daddy, can I go get the bow? And there's a reason why I don't want them to know where the bow is because I know that if they get it without me, it's going to be a problem. Why am I saying that? Because... There are many times in life when our rights conflict with our responsibilities. I mean, I have the right to do something, but it's not always what's best to do because others may be watching. And if they repeated my behavior, it may get them into trouble because they might not be mature enough, responsible enough, or capable enough to exercise the same rights I exercised. And sometimes you and I are stretching our rights into areas where we can get away with things, but we probably shouldn't be doing them. And so when we stretch our rights and we're doing things that maybe we shouldn't be doing and others are watching, do they know how far to stretch without breaking those rights? And so as a result, the exercise of our rights could cause problems for others. And so how do you and I live where we understand the balance 
or the caution of exercising rights within the boundaries of responsibilities. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. In the early chapters of the letter to the church in Ephesus, he's writing about this whole idea of grace. And how, how and, and so here, here's the backdrop to grace. And then I'm going to read a passage that the Apostle Paul is writing to you. The, the backdrop is this. He, he goes like this. And, and I'm going to give you the kind of quick over the flyover version because this message is actually part four in this series about grace. And so the, the first thing about grace uh, that, that the Apostle Paul talks about is that we, be, we need to become more like Jesus. And, and the challenge is that we become like what we love. And every one of us have inside of us disordered desires, meaning we love the wrong things. And when we become like the things we love, but those things are wrong, they hurt us when we love them. Some of you have loved and fallen in love with and gotten trapped in some things that you liked and they were disordered desires. And the second challenge that we addressed in this series was that you and I can step in some things that get on us and it sticks to us. And what we step on is what we can become. And we've kind of made a mess of ourselves. And that mess that gets in us can infect us and affect us. And so the Apostle Paul provides a challenge that you and I need to fall more in love with Jesus. As we fall more in love with Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And when you step in the wrong thing, well, here's the deal. What you need is grace from God. The grace of God that washes us and cleanses us and makes us new and makes us rich in God's love. If you continue to read, you get to Ephesians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul writes a beautiful and powerful prayer. And so can I just, as we're, as we're diving into this idea about rights and responsibilities, the Apostle Paul offers a prayer for the church in Ephesus. And I want to just take a moment, and I want to pray this prayer over you right now. Maybe you're brand new to LifeHouse. Maybe you've been with us a long time. Is it okay if I just take a moment and pray this prayer from the Apostle Paul over you? If you would, right now, you're at, you're at one of our campuses, you're joining us online, would you just close your eyes for a moment? And allow me to pray this over you. And as I'm praying it, I'm going to pray it slow so you can hear it. Maybe so you can agree with me in prayer. Maybe so you can receive this prayer. Maybe something about the prayer will jump out to you that will challenge you, encourage you, convict you. He prays this. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I mean, I 
hope that as I prayed that, you received that. What a powerful prayer that the Apostle Paul, Paul is writing and praying over the church of Ephesus. And that people would be rooted and anchored in the love of Christ Jesus, our Lord. That they would understand the, the width and length, the height, the depth of God's love. And why do we need that? Well, let me give a quick recap. Because we have a tendency to love the wrong thing. When we love the wrong thing, we become like the wrong thing. We have a tendency to walk in places where we shouldn't walk. And as a result, we stumble into things we shouldn't stumble into. And we step in things we shouldn't step into. Biblical authors and the Apostle Paul, Jesus even, referred to this tendency to stray, to step in the wrong thing, to love wrong things as sin. It's a spiritual disorder that disconnects us from God. Rather than following the ways of God, we follow our own broken desires and we go in wrong directions. We step in places we shouldn't step. We go in places we shouldn't go. Rather than walking gracefully, we walk dangerously. We walk up to the cliff's edge, edge and we walk off. Sin is a spiritual brokenness, a spiritual disorder that disorients us, separating us from relationship with God and sending us in a life course, a life journey, a life hike of danger, disaster, and destruction leading to a forever far from God, but God. What I share with you is this idea that throughout this sermon series, I said, because we have this disordered desire, what we need is God's love. And when we receive God's love, we love Jesus. And when we love Jesus, we become more like Jesus. And I challenged you the second week that when we step in it, what we need is grace. And what you receive is grace from God. How? Because God knew that you and I had strayed and were straying toward destruction and disaster and we had already been destroyed by sin. And so Jesus took on our eternal death sentence. Jesus stepped in between us and ultimate destruction, took the fall on himself, died in our place. When Jesus died on the cross, he was absorbing our shame, guilt, our sin punishment, what you and I deserve was placed on Jesus that he died once for all. But Jesus didn't just die for you and I. He rose from the, get, the dead for you and I. And in his resurrection, he gives us victory over our sin, not just over our sin tendencies, but over our sin straying and over our sin destruction. So when you believe in Jesus by faith, you're given life. The life to live following the ways of God. He gives you grace, the rich grace of God, which brings with it mercy so that you don't get what you did deserve, eternal destruction, and grace to receive the generous riches of God's love so that you can experience all of the goodness of God in and through your life. Mercy and grace. And so the Apostle Paul, when he prays, he said, you know, what I already read to you is that you and I, he said, out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being. Look, let me just pause for a moment and challenge you. Maybe you've strayed. Maybe you've got disordered desires and love. Where you began is not trying to take responsibility over rights. 
but making sure your heart is in right relationship with Jesus. So can I encourage you just for a moment, let's pause. And if you've never said yes to Jesus by faith, can I challenge you and encourage you to begin a new journey in relationship with God. When you look at your old journey, it was going in your own direction. You were putting footprints probably where you shouldn't have. You've strayed down some places that were dangerous and destructive. God wants to forgive you of where you've put your footprints, give you a new journey of life, and give you new life through faith in Jesus. And if you're ready to say yes to Jesus, can I encourage you, would you make that commitment right now? You, You can on your own, you're joining us online, you could literally just right where you're sitting, just pause and say, Jesus, I believe in you by faith. Would you forgive me of my sins? Would you give me new and forever life? You're in our Hagerstown campus, you're on Frederick campus, would you pause and would you pray? Just say yes to Jesus, believe in him by faith. Put your, make a commitment to following and believing in Jesus. And if you're saying yes to Jesus right now, this is deeply personal. But when you say yes to Jesus, you get invited into the family of God. And we want to celebrate and say, welcome home. And so would you let us know, you, would you scan the QR code? When you scan it, you're going to fill out a form. One of our pastors will follow up with you and encourage you as you begin this new journey in relationship with God. One of the things they're going to say is, welcome home. Welcome to the family of God and welcome to Life House Church. Now you've said yes to Jesus and we are celebrating that. For the rest of you who've already said yes to Jesus, there's a next step. Now, those of you that aren't ready yet, would you at least consider what I'm sharing next? This past week, I talked about when you receive grace from God, you need to give grace. That we have a tendency to believe that somehow we're in the insider group when we believe in Jesus by faith, and then we project our convictions onto others, and we judge others in a way we shouldn't. What I shared last week was to recognize that the same grace we needed from God is the grace others need from God. The same forgiveness that we've received from God is the forgiveness others need from God. And so I talked about the idea that we should be showing the same grace that God shows us. Let's take it one step further. Remember, this is part four. There is a responsibility that comes with grace. So the very next verse after the, uh, as the Apostle Paul is read, uh, makes this prayer. He's praying, may you experience the breadth, the depth, the height, the width of God's love. He goes that, that, would you, that you would encounter uh, what couldn't even be You can't even begin to imagine what God wants to do in and through you, in and through the church. Then he says this, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Wow. The Apostle Paul just turned a corner. Be completely humble. And gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. The key, what the Apostle Paul is getting at here, he's speaking all about grace. And he says, but grace changes you. You don't just take hold of grace. Grace takes hold of you. 
Grace isn't just something you receive. Grace receives you. You don't just believe in Jesus by faith and receive Jesus in your life. Jesus receives you. The best way for you to follow, the best way for you to live this out is by following Jesus, the grace of God taking hold of, apprehending your life. Grace empowers you to live a new life. Grace empowers you to become more like Jesus. Grace enables you to be an example to others of the way of Jesus. Grace gives you the right to sin and be forgiven and the responsibility to stop sinning so that you don't lead others in a destructive path, even if you could be forgiven for it. Wow, that's a mouthful. So let's pause right there. Let me, let me give you the backdrop to this story. Some of you know this, but for the rest of you that don't, let me give you a little bit of background. This is written by the Apostle Paul, whose name used to be Saul. Saul was a religious terrorist. He was a passionate Jewish leader, but he hated Christians. And because of his religion, he was determined to have them arrested, thrown in prison, and even put to death on his way to another massacre. He has an encounter with God where he meets Jesus. This changes his life. When he puts his faith in Jesus, he changes his name over time because he not only believed in Jesus, but he went from being a person who hated Christians to telling other people about Christianity. He went from hating the church to starting churches all across Asia and Europe. Later, he writes letters to these different churches that he started, and um, you know, it's very like the Apostle Paul wrote a major portion of the New Testament of the Bible. So his name change was an indication of his life change. One of the churches he started was in the city of Ephesus. Let's talk about Ephesus. Ephesus was like Vegas at its worst. City of sexual experimentation and exploitation, a city where wealth is used like power to take advantage of the poor. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Like the house always wins. The apostle Paul who started the church in Ephesus, um, you know, he just went there and he started telling people about Jesus, people who lived in this city. And when they came to faith in Jesus, they brought their life with them all their mess and messiness, which is why he talks so much about love and grace. A city that had a perverted view of love, he shows them a selfless view of love. And a city where a lot of grace is needed for the new believers and for new believers to know how to show grace to the city around them. Then the apostle Paul, <laughs> he his, because his life has changed, he's challenging this church, hey, you're experiencing a lot of grace, but let me, let me challenge you. Why don't you step it up? Don't just use your rights to do what you want. There are times when you need to lay down your rights because you need to be a better influence and example to others. And so he starts that, the chapter four, by saying, I am a prisoner of the Lord. Think about what he's saying. He goes, I have been confined and defined and contained by the Lord Jesus Christ, who is my calling. 
God's changed my life. A prisoner doesn't go where they want. They don't do what they want. They are controlled, guided, and put into a confinement. And the Apostle Paul is not saying this in a negative, pejorative way. He is saying, I'm a leader in the church. I led you. I'm the one who started the church of Ephesus. And I want you to know that I don't do what I want. I don't go where I want. I am a prisoner of the Lord. When I went to Ephesus, I went there led by God himself. What I taught you, I was being told what to say. In essence, he's challenging us. Maybe you and I should look at our lives a little bit more like prisoners of the Lord. Not being controlled and forced and and caged, but being set free to live a new kind of life. And so then he says, I want you to live worthy of the calling. This is verse two. Live worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. What is he saying? He's saying this, this idea of living worthy. Live worthy of God's calling on your life. Whether you know it or not, your life purpose, your life significance, every one of us are searching for, have been looking for a sense of calling. Why am I here? And if you've been looking for that, you just found it. Why you're here, you're calling. And the Apostle Paul is helping remind us to live worthy of our calling. When you believe in Jesus by faith, you have been called by God to a new way of life. When you're called by God to a new way of life, some of you will be called into leadership. Some of you will be called into a, uh, the office of leadership within the church. But every one of you will be called to be an influence to the watching world. Think about it like children. People who are far away from Jesus are people in need of God's love and grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you have a calling to be a light to darkness, to be hope in despair, to be the message of grace in a world of judgment. That's your calling. But now you and I have a challenge to live worthy of that calling. So in essence, this is what he's getting at. He's saying, look, if you think about your life like you're on a hike, so we're talking about walking gracefully. See, you're on the hike. Hey, so long as it's not sin, meaning if it doesn't destroy you, walk wherever you want to walk. If you step in it, God will forgive you. You head the wrong direction, God will rescue you. But live worthy of your calling. Maybe it's time for you to turn the course of your life toward what God wants, toward what God says is best, rather than what you want and what you think is best, constantly needing God's grace and forgiveness to to, to course correct you. Maybe it's time to say, God, what's worthy of this calling? Where should I go? What should I do? How should I live? Maybe it's time to stop putting footprints in careless places. Start being more careful where you step. Recognizing that where I step, others will follow. So, let me give you a challenge. Where you're stepping If you're wondering if what you're doing is sinful or not, at the very least, it's probably not best. But 
Maybe you've been trying to justify your behavior by searching the Bible. Maybe, you've, maybe the only time you studied the Bible was when you were trying to justify a desire and try to, you're trying to uh, make the Bible say something that it doesn't clearly say. I promise you, if you're trying really hard to force the Bible to say something that it doesn't clearly say, what you're looking for isn't there and it's probably wrong what you're doing. If you're wrestling with whether something is sin, at the very least, it's sin to you. So stop putting your footprints in those places. Turn your path toward what is best. Don't settle for something less. Then the Apostle Paul gives a few key challenges. He says this, be completely humble. Be gentle, be patient, bearing with one another. The word he uses is long-suffering, working toward unity. Okay, let's talk about this. These words are called graces. In essence, God gives us the grace to live the graces of right living. Did you catch that? I get That's a mouthful. In essence, he gives you the grace, the rich generosity of God, to change your life, to exercise the graces of God. Let me quickly give you an explanation for these. What, what graces does he offer? Be humble. Don't think so much of yourself or think too much about yourself. Humble people don't think, you know, they, they don't like belittle themselves. They just think less about themselves. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Gentleness would be the opposite of raging or being uh, brash. He's saying, be softer, be kinder. Leverage your strength to serve others. Be gentle, be patient. Patience is both enduring with others and recognizing that every desire you have does not necessarily need to be fulfilled, right? And patience means playing the long game. It means recognizing that I don't need everything I want right now. I'm not gonna get everything I wanna get right now. Patience is delaying gratification. Bearing with one another in love. This is the idea of being long-suffering. Recognizing that other people need the same grace you've needed. Being long-suffering is the idea of yielding your rights for responsibility. Recognizing that you not only have to extend grace, but you may have to yield your rights so that you don't hurt other people. In my home, uh, you know, we don't watch a lot of TV or a lot of movies, so we, well, once in a while we have a movie night. Whoever's in, in our room watching the movie, here's the deal. The movie choice has to be yielded to the person with the strongest uh, level of preference. So when, one of, when our girls were younger, uh, they had like a few of them had like really high sensitivity to like violence and certain uh, you know moments in movies. So there's a lot of movies we couldn't watch. And I'm a I'm a, like a I want to watch epic war movies, right? I, I like Lord of the Rings and that kind of stuff, right? Like, and uh, yeah, you were not watching any of that because if girls can't handle it, so what am I doing? I'm being long suffering in love. I'm saying it's not what I want; it's what's best to make sure that I don't hurt somebody with a weaker conscience. And it goes like this, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. That means I am working toward what is best for the whole rather than what I want out of it. 
These are the graces of God. Now, if you want to know how to live your life best, worthy of the calling, let me make it very simple. Follow Jesus. As you're following Jesus, right, walk gracefully. Follow the footprints of Jesus. As a result, you'll go where Jesus goes, and you'll become more like Jesus. Let me give you one more really important passage. Just like this, uh, or one more key point from this passage. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. For what purpose? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What is the apostle Paul getting at? He goes like this. Live and lead so others can follow. You and I should Live and lead so others can follow. He, he gave a list. It was Jesus who gave the church, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, pastor, teacher. Now, time won't allow for me to unpack and explain each of those. What I can tell you is that these titles are functions of leadership within the church, specific resume of responsibility. And the idea is that they are gifts of leadership, gifts of grace. But each one of you is called to be a leader as a Christian with influence. What's the point of these five offices within the church? To equip every one of the believers to build up the whole body so that everyone together is showing the love of God. You and I have a responsibility together, whether you're the pastor on the platform, a pastor behind the scenes, a leader of a life group, or you are influencing your children sitting next to you right now, or you're influencing a coworker that does not know or believe in Jesus, you have a responsibility to live and lead so others can follow. Which means it's not just about you not putting footprints uh, in places that will destroy you and following Jesus, it's making sure that where you put your footprints, Others can safely follow. Now, it's not just about you, is it? It's not just about what grace you can get from God and what you can get away with. If you are asking how close to sin you can get, I promise you, it's already sin. But worse, you're going to destroy someone else's life because what if you got away with it? You repent. God forgives you. But someone younger, more impressionable, follows those footprints right off the edge. Be careful where you step because others behind you are following you. So let me be clear. Some of you have desires that you've been wrestling with. Some of you have been struggling with addiction desires your whole life. You've been struggling with sexual desires your whole life. Some of you have been newly introduced to certain um, directions that are compromising what you and I do in compromise those following us will do in excess so you and I willingly restrain our compromise and yield our rights to the responsibility of recognizing there are others coming behind us so in essence stop the debate stop trying to justify stop trying to argue stop trying to prove your point yield your rights to the responsibility of a generation coming behind you yield your rights and your privileges to the opportunity to lead others toward what is best and right. The Apostle Paul wrote it to another church, very much like Ephesus, in the city of Corinth. It's in the 
first letter to the Corinthian church, chapter 10, verse 23 and 24. And again, time doesn't allow for me to unpack this fully, but let me just read it to you. He says, some of you will say this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Please, in essence, don't leverage your grace in a way that hurts someone else. Be responsible with the grace of God to live your life worthy of the calling and put your footprints in places where if others followed, it would lead them to Jesus. Do what is beneficial and constructive. Let me conclude by reading one last passage. Ephesians chapter four, verse 14 and 15. He says, this is what it'll look like when you and I don't just take hold of grace, but grace take hold of us. When we live worthy of our calling and we live and lead in such a way that others can follow, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, all of us speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, and that is Christ. The Apostle Paul is saying is that when every one of us take responsibility to live and lead so others can follow, here's what happens. We recognize that the babies, the toddlers, the, the children, the adolescents among us, and I mean in the faith, right? They will watch our example they will grow up because they're not just doing what they want, but they're doing what's been modeled for them. And they will become more mature like Jesus. As a result, the whole church will grow up in maturity to become like Jesus. And we shine and show the love of God through our life example of living out a mature, honoring life fullness of Christ. Do you allow me to pray over you? I realize that this is a challenge. I hope every one of us leave reflecting in what ways am I putting footprints down that shouldn't be put there. God, forgive me. God, help me. Give me the grace to place my footprints in the footprints of Jesus. Give me the grace to put my feet where others can safely follow. Jesus, we surrender to you. We yield our rights to you. We yield our desires and our wants to you because we recognize that our desires can be disordered and our wants can be selfish. And so God, what we want is what you want and what we desire is your best. Help us to yield to the responsibility you've given us to follow you so others can follow you when they follow us. May our church be built up to the fullness of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.